0: Welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. The tech giants have faced dozens of consumer class claims in California federal courts in recent years after a series of high profile privacy and security breaches. Joining me is Eric Goldman, a professor at Santa Clara University Law School and co director of the High Tech Law Institute. Have federal courts in California lowered the bar for consumers to bring privacy cases against the tech giants? The California
1: courts are seeing a lot of the privacy litigation nationwide, so they're dealing with a higher volume than many other courts. And many of those courts are resolving the first threshold question, can this case even be heard in court? And many of the California courts are being sympathetic to the plaintiffs in those rulings and willing to entertain lawsuits that might not succeed elsewhere.
0: Is it because the Ninth Circuit is known as a liberal circuit and their decisions are following the case law there, or is it for another reason?
1: It's a little hard to pinpoint why the California courts might be more sympathetic. Certainly, California has a reputation as being sympathetic to plaintiff arguments and open to lawsuits generally. But this particular question on privacy lawsuits about whether the litigants even have the right to be in court really derives from a 2016 Supreme Court case that courts across the country have just read differently. And so it's not clear if the California courts are more biased in one direction or they're just reading the cases differently than other courts are.
0: Tell us about that last Supreme Court case in 2016.
1: Yeah, it was a case called Spokio versus Robbins, and the Spokio case addressed a very threshold question. In order to get into federal court, plaintiffs have to show that they suffered some cognizable injury. They can't just go into court and say, I'm upset. They have to show that they suffered some problem that the law recognizes. Now, it's not proof that they suffered problems, but they can't even articulate how they suffered a cognizable injury. The courts are supposed to dismiss the case, basically saying that's not the kind of case that we're allowed to hear in the first instance. And in the 2016 Supreme Court case, the court gave us some guidance about when plaintiffs suffer a cognizable injury. But the guidance the court gave us was somewhat confusing, and that's one of the reasons why courts across the country have been reading it differently.
0: Have there been appeals to the Supreme Court on these standing issues in privacy cases since then, and the court just hasn't taken it up?
1: Actually, I'm not sure if there have been any appeals of that issue to the Supreme okay. Court, but even if there were, the Supreme Court takes a very small fraction of the cases that are appealed to it, well less than 1%. So it wouldn't be unusual for the Supreme Court not to take another case in this area for a while, but to let the issue play out in the lower courts and only after the problems have emerged clearly would the Supreme Court come back in and take another case.
0: Is there any way to account for the fact that the 9th, the 7th, and the D.C. circuits seem to be more pro-plaintiff in this area? and the fourth and the second are less pro-plaintiff. Is it just the luck of the draw of the panel that they get, or is there a pro-plaintiff bias in those particular circuits?
1: I don't think of the circuits that you mentioned as being particularly pro-plaintiff, especially the Seventh Circuit, which historically has actually been viewed as a pro-business circuit. So it would be actually unusual for them to be considered a pro-plaintiff circuit. And I don't think it's the differences between panels on the appellate courts as much as just the Supreme Court case had so many ambiguous and possibly contradictory statements that the courts across the country have really struggled to figure out what it means. So that's why once one of the circuits starts to answer for the circuit, you might start to see these different precedents emerge on the circuits that look pro-plaintiff, but it's just because the first panel that heard that particular issue may have read the opinion in a a particular way that led towards a more pro-plaintiff outcome.
0: Is there a case that you think particularly well explains the kind of standing issues that we're talking about here?
1: The case that stands out in my mind, is the Zappos case. It involves a data breach by the retailer Zappos, and many millions of records were released. And after several years in the case, so the case proceeded on in court for years, The defendant moved to dismiss the case saying there wasn't a standing because of the fact that nobody had ever shown that their data had actually been misused. So there were millions of consumers who were affected by the breach, and after all the work on all the litigants to try and find evidence of a problem – there was no evidence that anyone ever suffered a breach. And the court still said, even though after three-plus years of developments in the area where the data has been available and could be misused – We still think that the case should proceed because of the fact that consumer data was released, even though there's no evidence anyone's ever used it. And that should be pretty good evidence. Possibly no one ever suffered any harm from the case.
0: Will privacy suits get more aggressive until the Supreme Court decides to take a case and perhaps rein them in?
1: there's no doubt that privacy litigation is a growth industry. And the standing issue has contributed to the growth because of the fact that plaintiffs have been able to find ways to get into court, even if they can't show the kinds of harms we would expect plaintiffs to show. That's been emboldening plaintiffs to bring more cases. I would also point out in California, there's a new data breach law that's going to be going into effect on January 1 that specifies certain types of harms that can be recognized. Automatically, and that's going to encourage the plaintiffs to bring lawsuits also in California state court and try and take advantage of the law's statutory damages, which guarantee certain payoffs and minimum payoffs, even if the plaintiffs can't otherwise show harm. So, data breach litigation is actually about to get a turbocharged boost from the California law. What we've seen now, I think, is going to be just a small fraction of the amount of litigation that's going to be spurred the California law.
0: Thanks Eric. That's Eric Goldman of Santa Clara University Law School. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on bloomberg.com/podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg